0: Hello, everybody can I start yes, ma'am. all right good welcome to paranormal policies <laughs> um, I know it's a fun fun title of the session and a lot of people have said really and the answer is yes so we're glad to see you all here this Saturday morning at the tail end of a great conference we're glad that you've managed to stay through the whole conference uh, my name is Kat Burkhart. I'm the chair. I run the Carnegie Museum of Montgomery County in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Uh, we have no ghosts, and uh, <laughs> um, we've, we've had people come and look, but this session seems to be a pretty hot topic. So, Before we begin, I want to make it clear that we are not here to advocate all museums open their doors to ghost hunters or paranormal investigators. We also will not be making statements of belief about the existence, or not, of ghosts and paranormal activity. And the words, paranormal activity, um, I'm talking about activity occurring at a location that is attributed by staff or the public to supernatural causes. Language can be a very tricky thing because the terms we are using will be used by different people in different ways. Um, So these are what we're just going to, I just ask you to bear with us. And if one person means spiritual and one person means paranormal and one person, there's haunting and there's just lots of different words. So I just ask you to take it with a grain of salt here. Um, The session is meant to be a policy session about how and why to handle, or not, (laughs) the possibilities of talking about the paranormal at your site. This can be a sensitive and controversial topic, Depending on the site and the staff and the board of the institution, the conversations will be different for every site. Um, We hope that after this session, you will have the questions to ask yourself, your staff and your board, and the tools to make the decision that will benefit your site. So I'm going to introduce our panelists here. And let me make sure I have everybody. All right. Our first panelist is Leah Craig. She graduated from Auburn University in August with a master's in history and a certificate in public history. Leah is now a curator of education for the Oklahoma Historical Society. Today, she is presenting research from her master's thesis titled, Unliving History, Programming, Interpretation, and Management at Haunted Historic Sites. Our second panelist is Alan Lord. She is the director of the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale, Arkansas. This fall marks her 30th. Is that could that, that can be true? 30th year in the museum field. In 2011 and 12, she partnered with the Ghost Hunters of South Tulsa to record paranormal activity in several buildings at her museum. And then wrapping it up for us is Lisa Anderson. She is the CEO of the Mesa Historical Museum in Mesa, Arizona, and she has worked in the museum field for over 24 years. So we have a variety of experiences for you, and not in the paranormal way, I know. (laughs) Um, Hopefully when we talk about paranormal, you can understand it in many ways. Hopefully when we talk about policy, there aren't too many different ways to interpret the word policy. I guess you can look at it more as a general rule or a guideline versus hard and fast rules, but we leave that part up to you. So I will turn it over to Leah. Leah.
1: Uh, thank you, Kat, for the introduction and for putting this um, panel together. I'm honored to be here today, talking to everybody. Um, sorry for the uh, not so pretty PowerPoint. The content's there, but the uh, uh, formatting didn't carry over. So, just bear with me. No, it's fine. <laughs> Starting in 2011, I began a research project for my master's thesis in order to explore the issues haunted historic sites face. And when I say Haunted historic sites, I mean sites that are considered haunted either by um, the public or the staff, uh, whomever. It's not a judgment on my part as to whether or not it's haunted. Um, next slide, please. I looked at staff and volunteers uh, at 10 different sites, sites um, interviewed them, and also attended two events, uh, one of which used paranormal investigators as part of the event. Uh, One is Ashland, the Henry Clay Estate in Lexington, Kentucky. Whitehall State Historic Site, that's the home of Cassius Clay, the 19th century uh, emancipationist. Liberty Hall was uh, home to one of Kentucky's first state senators in Frankfort, Kentucky. Gaineswood National Historic Landmark is a a plantation uh, in Demopolis, Alabama. Perryville Battlefield, uh, that's a civil War battlefield site. Andersonville National uh, Historic Site, uh, also known as Camp Sumter, a prisoner of War camp uh, during the Civil War. Mountainville Archaeological Park. this is um, a city and then was a burial place of ancient Mississippian culture uh, near Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Shaker Village of Pleasant Hill that's uh, it was a utopian. Uh, groups, uh, one of their villages uh, of the people known as Shakers, and that's in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Okahaba Archaeological Park, uh, which is uh, in Selma, Alabama, and Okahaba was the uh, first state capital in Alabama, and it's now kind of a, the archaeological ruins of this town. Uh, and Sloss Furnace is National Historic Landmark in Birmingham, Alabama. That's an iron ore furnace that. Um, is my only site that has been on national television. They've been on several of the ghost hunting uh, shows. Uh, Every single one of these places um, reported that they were contacted by paranormal investigators. Uh, And they all had different responses. Some of them were, no, we don't let them, you know, at all. Um, Others had different ways of um, using them or, or incorporating them. Uh, in, in different ways, but but despite all that, despite the kind of prevalence of this um, this factor, nobody really had any kind of written down policies. Uh, and so, part of what I'm going to talk about today is the importance of thinking through and developing a, a policy as if your site is one of these that's contacted by um, paranormal investigators. Next. Here's some pictures. For you to enjoy. <laughs> uh, I'd like to read you a quote, and this is um, taken down during uh, my research. Just the history that is here is just, it's like Christmas to a five-year-old. It's just the most awesome thing in the world to me, and I believe in preserving it. If we lose our history, our future means absolutely nothing. Everybody agree with that? I hope I can assume that uh, for the most part, uh, everybody in this room would agree with that statement, uh, and that's not from an academic or public historian, nor from a volunteer interpreter uh, at a site, but a paranormal investigator uh, volunteering at Old Olcaba. Uh, and while attending events like this uh, and interviewing the staff for my thesis, I wanted to find out, can historic site managers use paranormal investigators without compromising the values, mission, and authority of their site. My conclusion, based on my research, is is that indeed using paranormal investigators is quite risky. However, it is possible that some historic sites can use paranormal investigators in such a way that does not compromise uh, their values, mission, or authority. In fact, some historic sites can use paranormal investigators as another tool to entertain, teach, and inspire their visitors though only with um, a considerable amount of thinking and preparation beforehand. Now kind of reiterating what um, Kat said in the introduction about belief, um, my, uh, the way I pr- uh, went about my research, um, I was trying to remain as objective as possible uh, and when asking people about their personal beliefs, which is part of what I did, uh, I was not doing that to judge the validity um, of their experiences. Uh, rather, I wanted to uh, try to understand why um, what they were doing the things they were doing and, and how they felt about the place that they worked at. However, we need a professional dialogue and decision-making that is not rooted in our personal beliefs, whether that is you believe in ghosts or you don't believe in ghosts, or you think paranormal investigators um, are doing legitimate um, investigational work or not. From a scientific standpoint, let's acknowledge that you cannot test or prove the existence of ghosts. If you could, it would have already happened from these groups. Uh, and paranormal investigators should not be used at historic sites to do so. On the other hand, historians, or we are historians, not scientists, and we can allow for discussion at our sites um, for the kind of exploration of different people's beliefs. And it doesn't necessarily have to act as an endorsement of the legitimacy uh, of these groups. Two sites uh, in particular, I have a lot of examples I could use. Sites, I think, provide a really nice contrast uh, for thinking about the risks and benefits of using paranormal investigators and um, hopefully give you some ideas for uh, thinking through the importance of developing a written policy and what kind of things you need to think about. One site, Whitehall, uh, when I interviewed the staff, they talked about how before they had been using paranormal investigators on a, a relatively a frequent basis, and all the groups um, had been very respectful and listened to them. Uh, but one group came in one day, and they were intoxicated, and they weren't listening to the staff. They were being kind of rowdy, um, and so they kicked them out. And at that moment in time, suspended using uh, paranormal investigators until. They could think through what it is, you know, why are we doing this, Uh, do we want to continue doing this, that kind of thing. uh, Okahaba, on the other hand, has a haunted history event that they uh, do every year. And they partner with uh, one group uh, to to do this event. And that's really the only relationship they have with. Uh, paranormal investigator groups. They don't really allow anybody else. They just uh, have that partnership with the one gr- group. Is that site like one of these? Uh, no. That's not, yeah, that's not one of my sites. Um, you can find pictures online, though, if you Google Okaba. <laughs> um, so when you come to the event, there's, uh, they can kind of rotate visitors through. There's about 20 per group, and uh, they load you on a cotton wagon, and you go to the first site, which is a cemetery. And staff and volunteers are there um, telling stories, uh, folklore um, associated with that site, ghost stories that are associated with um, the history of the place. Um, but they also tell a story that involved um, paranormal investigators um, when they were doing uh, an investigation that had a recording that they connected, staff connected to a historic event. It was... Um, the story of Plez, who is an enslaved person, who is being forced by his masters to steal from some shops and um, burn uh, the places down, and uh, it kind of ended unfortunately for um, everybody involved. Uh, so the point, though, is they use this kind of modern um, paranormal investigator experience and translated it to something historical and used it as an opportunity to tell that story. The next part, you, they loaded everybody back on the cotton wagon and told stories along the way. There's a staff person, but people were also talking and chatting and um, carrying on and uh, having dis- nice discussions about what they had just heard. Uh, and then they dropped us off at uh, the uh, only standing uh, slave quarters there. And that is where the paranormal investigator group was, uh, and they were, uh, as advertised, um, you could participate in a ghost hunt. And when they got off, when we got off the cotton wagon, they started talking about uh, introducing themselves and here's kind of the basics of what we do, um, but they also started talking about you know here's where we're standing. Um, And this is what this place was. And when you go inside, this is what you're going to see. Uh, And they started talking about slavery and about how, you know, the evils associated with slavery. And compared to many sites, uh, historic sites in the South in general, um, there's a lot that are still not really talking about slavery that much or find it hard to talk about. And here is this person who is not a trained historian, and was talking more about slavery than I'd heard at many sites, including some of the others that I'd been to um, in a way that was not controversial to anybody who was there in the heart of deep South Alabama. Um, so I think it was kind of an interesting um, use of education uh, to give voice to uh, under- underrepresented um, voice, both in the historic record uh, and at our sites themselves. Uh, of course, he also advocated for um, preservation of the site. That's the quote that I um, said earlier. Um, and something else that struck me as well was he emphasized you know, the history that is here. An interest in spirits, at least for some groups, uh, and an interest in history are not exclusive. And I think that's something we can uh, try to remember as professionals um, that people enjoy history for many different reasons. Um, and the way that they were presenting it was creating a lot of those emotional connections um, that um, we sometimes strive for. So based on my research, here are some recommendations that I have. One is be sensitive to the beliefs of your staff or your visitors. Um, but don't use paranormal investigators to confirm or deny the sanity or insanity of your staff, because thats <laughs> they're not going to be able to do that. Uh, like old Cahaba, having paranormal investigators does not necessarily endorse their work and findings. Uh, however, since we are not scientists, we should not be so arrogant that we fail to see that visitors and others sincerely believe in ghosts and historic sites can be a place to have discussions about matters of opinions and, and belief. And the best use of paranormal investigators connect to history, folklore, and preservation and provide safe space to dialogue about the past and issues of death and afterlife. After the um, par- the investigation, uh, which really wasn't an investigation in the true sense of everybody be quiet and sit and listen we're going to ask questions, it was we went into the room and we were just asking questions of the guy and swapping stories. It wasn't really formal, um, like you see on TV. Uh, And afterward, they had a bonfire, and people um, gathered around and and told stories and talked about their personal beliefs. And so it was really uh, a great way to have those discussions. Um, I have a handout that um, we're on the ends of the rows, uh, if you've got one. And next slide. And I wanted to go real quick through um, this list of um, things to consider when developing a paranormal policy. Uh, Of course, the mission and values of your institution, um, as well as the safety of people and collections. And those two should really both be kind of number one, um, because safety is important. And that's something that a lot of my sites brought up as a concern uh, when thinking about this. Also, respect for the history and people you interpret. uh, there's some on some of them, yeah. The, several of the sites, uh, particularly Moundville, Shaker Village, and Andersonville, don't use, uh, paranormal investigators because they are what I call sacred sites. Um, either, you know, a place of extreme tragedy, uh, a place that actually was, um, a religious site, um, for places that um, maybe culturally are sacred to um, certain groups. And so it would be offensive, really, if they um, brought paranormal investigators on. So that's something that each site would have to consider themselves. Um, Audience and goals of whatever it is you're doing. Uh, Thinking about the possible consequences, and this is what a lot of people brought up, was reputation, and that's not just among other colleagues um but in your community are people going to think that you know our place is scary uh will children school children not want to come um and then uh also factors of inaccuracy if you have paranormal investigators um talking about history are they telling it accurately Uh, and then opportunities as well that people um uh, talked about fundraising drawing new audiences are kind of the um most tangible, but also entertaining, educating, building community, collaborating, and um, inspiring were some of the factors, and I hope that um, Okahaba was kind of um, an example of that. Um, So in conclusions, if you're developing a paranormal policy, uh, weigh your options, um, talk about it, anticipate problems, uh, but also consider benefits. The best choice for your institution might be no, we're not going to allow them. Uh, but the uh, another choice might be yes, and it could work. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Leah. Um, Leah's uh, master's thesis is really a very interesting document to to read and to uh, help you give some perspective on this. And um, so, talk to her later about it if you're interested. I think you'll find it very helpful. Um, it's okay. I uh, m- my institution is a municipal museum uh, with a regional interpretation, interpreting the Arkansas Ozarks. Um and so as nope <laughs> sorry. It's, it's in, in hmm This will be bad if it doesn't open. <laughs> it saw I mean, it was all beautiful just a minute ago. All
0: right, give me just a minute. Sorry. Does everybody have a handout? <laughs>
2: Well, I'll I'll try to to run a little bit off my memory, which is going to be bad for all of us. Um, um, Like many of you, um, at at my current institution and my former institution, um, also a municipal uh, local history museum, um, and like many of you, we receive calls, not infrequently, from people who are interested in, are there there ghosts? Uh, Is your site haunted? Um, Do you allow... Um, investigators there, and um, we don't have a policy. We didn't have a policy, um, so for us, we um, we had to um, decide what how to answer. And so for those three questions, the first being, "Do you have ghosts? Do you have hauntings?" Um, the answer was was no, because we had no history and no f- folklore at our site that told us that. So it was easier for us to say, "No, we don't." That question was usually followed up by a second question, which was, um, do you know of other sites that are haunted or have ghosts? Um, And what I usually responded there was, um, there are several um, what I would term reputable websites. Um, For instance, uh, in Arkansas, there's the Arkansas Department of Parks and Tourism has a haunted Arkansas site that lists many of historic houses and other kinds of places that have in their literature, the idea that they're they're haunted. Um, we also have a couple of sites in our local area, um, a hotel, a bridge, uh, a mountain, that in popular culture have been haunted. And those stories are out there and they know, so I I, I say of course you know about these, and those also have websites, less reputable websites as well. Um, Yes, okay, I'm going okay. <laughs> um, but the third question was, um, can we, as a ghost hunting group, a paranormal investigation group, can we come? Okay, let's let's move on to the next slide. Next slide. There we are. And so the last question was, can we come and investigate your facility? It uh, was my answer. Next slide. Um, so, I mean, I knew popular thinking. We know that, as Leah said, that most people would say it's not scientific, it's not necessarily history, um, that, you know, the museum's credibility, its accuracy, its mission can be threatened by this uh, type of activity. Um, well, I can see that we have some formatting problems also here, um, that ghost hunters are not professionals, which is one of the... Um, the things lobbied against, um, of these kind of investigations and that this kind of publicity is not something that a well-respected, accurate museum would undertake. Um, so then the question is why would I consider doing an investigation, uh, which you can't send there because it's hiding like a ghost. Um, so, um, So in this case, last year, I had someone call me for the first time who said, we would like to come investigate. And this was the group, Ghost Hunters of South Tulsa, whose acronym conveniently is GHOST. Um, So they were the first to actually call and ask, could they investigate? Um, And so I asked, I said, let me think about it and so forth. They gave me their website. I looked at their website. It uh, It wasn't sensational. It wasn't trivialized. It wasn't... Um, uh, ghosts are cool. It was a reasonable website that was very frank, gave good discussions about why, when, and how. Um, And lastly, in talking to her, um, that group was very willing to set limitations on what, where, and how they did things. Um, One of the most important points to me was that we, as the museum, had the ability to determine where, when, or how the results of their investigations were disseminated, or if they were at all. Um, we—I had limitations on where in the museum and outside they could go, and they were fine with that, that they'd always be accompanied by a staff member, and they were fine with that, and that nothing could endanger our objects or our, our buildings. So I didn't have a policy, and... But I did a lot of thinking about this issue, talking to some of my staff about the issue. And now after having worked with this this, um, group here talking about this, looking at Leah's points there that you got in the handout, I was able to actually put into this chart the thinking that I had in relationship to those points that that Leah considered. So in terms of mission, yes, uh, our Arkansas Ozarks, we may be looking at some history there. What was really important, it was one of our values at, museu- at our museum, is that we take a balanced approach to whatever we're talking about. Uh, as I said this morning to my, my co-speakers here, the um, chicken industry is very big in northwest Arkansas, but I can't talk about poultry just as a good thing, because it has negative impacts as well. So we're always trying to present balance in our presentation. Um, but a negative here is there's no known history of ghosts. We don't have the folklore of ghosts, so that would count kind of ag- against having an investigation. When we look at safety, there are places that they could and couldn't go, and as I said, they were fine with that. One important point in favor of, uh, of allowing the investigation is could we learn something new? Are we so proud that we're not able to even consider some other option? So I thought that was a strong point. Um, And the same for connection to folklore. As you'll hear, especially when Leith talks, it can draw an audience, a different audience, a new audience that you may not have had before. But also we want to be able to control that information and I wasn't sure whether or not we could do that. The whole idea of inquiry and balance to me are very compelling issues when we try to decide whether or not to allow this kind of activity. However, in the big picture, this kind of activity is not in our strategic plan, but as most of you know, we often do smaller things that are not in part of our big picture. And then in terms of Leah's list, looking at possible consequences and possible opportunities, I saw both. In terms of consequences, as we say, the popular thinking, um, the reputation of the museum, would people who really believe that that this is honest truth, that these are accurate histories that we're presenting, would they not support us anymore? Would they downplay um, what we have to say in the future? Um, If this went very well and the information got out that there are ghosts or spirits or hauntings on our site... Our site is open. We have seven historic buildings as well as a museum building. So would people come at night and try to find those ghosts? There would be more activity on lawn. Would we have vandalism? That's a consideration. And also, because we're the department of the city, we're a city-owned museum, uh, I have a mayor who is extremely religious and goes way over the bounds of what he should be doing in that, in that area. So I know that probably would not sit well with him, though I did not discuss it with him. <laughs> On the pros, again, the chance to have a new audience. We may have good publicity if we put that out. And if we want to do something as a result of it, we might have a chance to raise some money. So those were all considerations that we might have. But for me, the very bottom line was, if we get this information and we can control how, where, and when it's distributed, then there's no problem. Then we then we have the message. That was my bottom line thinking of it. So we agreed to do this, and this was a form that the, the ghost hunters uh, of South Tulsa gave to us. The highlighting is mine, uh, and you'll see that they talk about complete confidentiality, which was important. They talk about liability here in quite a a bit and that any damages that are done as part of their investigation, they would take care of. These are all things that this is kind of a standard form that they have. The other form that goes with it is a release form. Again, the highlighting is mine. Again, talks about liability on the part of them to pay for any kind of damages that are incurred. And the last line, no information about the investigation will be released without signed copies of this release form. And what we agreed with them at the time was that they, could, they would give us the information after they finished, that we would decide whether or not it was distributed, disseminated in any way, Um, and uh, that they needed to check with us before they put it up on their site. So we had control of that information from the outset. So we went on with the investigation. Um, We spent five hours one evening, and actually since that occurred, we've had them back a second time, so we've done two evenings. Um, They were always accompanied by me during the investigation. Uh, they took photographs. They did video, and they did what's commonly known as EVP—an audio, audio uh, recording. Um, they did uh, they did the investigations in our main exhibit hall, in a meeting hall, in our main modern museum building, and then in four of our outbuildings th- that you see here. We have seven historic buildings on our site, um, so uh, uh, they had a chance to go into all of these buildings. So they come back with the results. We get a total of 16 images, 3 video clips, and 11 audio clips. Um, There was nothing that tied into our history. There was nothing we could say that, oh, this was a man who lived in that house or worked in that barn or lived in the log cabin. Um, And there was nothing that we considered significant. There were a few moments that I certainly was taken aback. and I just put three of the photos up here just for your enlightenment. Um, the, the, this is the group of folks that came. Um, of the five, the one uh, fellow on the left uh, was regarded as the skeptic in the group. And, he, and that was kind of the way many ghost hunters have a, at least one skeptic on their staff to make sure that what they're hearing isn't someone else saying it or some artificial noise or what have you. Um, and then they take a picture of themselves at every site before they leave. And they were as <laughs> jazzed as I was in some ways by f- looking at that photo after it was done and seeing what they call an orb um, behind them um, it, that has nothing to do with any light anywhere from where they took the picture, I can assure you. Um, I don't know if you can see it in the left, uh, left-hand picture. It's a picture from our exhibit hall, and there's also an orb in that shot. Um, on the right, uh, bottom right, is a picture from, um, our historic home, uh, and that shot was taken, uh, looking at a mirror with reflection from another part of the, the house, another wall of that same room, um, and I'm not sure, with the lighting, you're not going to be able to see it, but it did show what they believe is a cloaked person, um, and that was very exciting for them, Um, um. so the, they came in, gave me the results, had me listen, and had me watch these. Um, and then it was my job next to figure out how that dissemination starts. So uh, we started out by um, um, I, I agreed with them after having seen and heard the results that they could put it on their website, but only as undisclosed Arkansas Museum. Um, and believe me, I know we might not know this, but there's more than a few museums in Arkansas. So they, it, it, unless you happen to know particular places at our museum, if you were on their site, you would probably not know where it was. Um, and then I revealed um, this to our staff, and I did in such a way that I invited anyone who wanted to hear and see it to come in. If you didn't, that was fine. If you did, that was fine. There was no judgment based on whether or not you participated um, so most of our staff did come in to um, to, to hear the results. Um, and the, at the end, I wanted them to understand that because we're not sure what we we're going to do, we have no policy, that this was going to stay within the staff and within the museum. Um, and at some later date, we may or may not put it out. And so that agreement was made with the rest of the staff. Um, I also uh, discussed this with our board. Uh, interestingly, I think just a few members of the board were interested in hearing or seeing the information and that same admonition came out to them to keep it within. Um, so it, it wasn't a big deal in that sense. Um, in terms of the reactions, you can see from the staff, there were, there's two, we have a staff of 12. There are two who said, I don't believe I, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't want to hear anything about this. We have one on staff who considers herself a sensitive, who's had many experiences in her life, and she absolutely loved this experience. And most of the staff was in between, and the results of, from the investigation, these are really didn't change their feelings about it, didn't confirm nor deny for them what they experienced. But I would say that some of those um, staff members who had some personal experiences that they weren't sure about for some of them it made them feel a little more less crazy (laughs) 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 um we're missing part of this but again i said this to the board most were disinterested um and i i'm uh, there really wasn't much discussion about it um and 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 no information went out to the press. Uh, and lastly, what's not on there is um, in terms of others is um, um, the ghost hunters were interested in coming back because they found enough that they thought there might be more. Um, and in terms of um, our general public or museum members. um, We did not put it out in information, so if they stumbled upon it, and they only would have had they looked at the ghost hunter site and recognized our museum, um, nothing has been said, there's been no press about it. So the only decision so far we've made of this is that uh, the results there don't help us with any kind of interpretation. They don't shed light or give new information on any interpretation that we have. Um, and because of that, there's no reason for us to pursue a, a paranormal-related event um, because there was nothing seriously found, uh, found there. Um, so lastly, what I'd say what's next is I do want to get the board involved in this discussion because it's, there's more to happen, I know. Um, I want to encourage the staff to be involved from all points of view, both those on either end as well as the majority of the staff in the middle, and I want to draft a policy because someone else is going to contact me. And if you remember my very first question when they say, does your site have ghosts or paranormal activity, now can I say no? So I need to know myself how I'm going to respond to that. Uh, so... I would say in terms of where we're at is we've had some chance to investigate. Uh, We're on the negative side of this, that it's nothing that we're going to do or pursue, but we're still open to opportunity. But a policy is the way to go, and I appreciate Leah's help because that gets gets me focused on what I need to get out to everyone, so we're all on the same page at our museum. Thanks.
3: Good morning, everybody. My name is Lisa Anderson, and I'm the CEO of the Mesa Historical Museum Mesa, Arizona. And uh, just a little background on our community and our museum. Our city is uh, one of the largest cities in the country, and we sit just east in the Phoenix metro area. And we have about 480,000 people just in Mesa alone, so it's a a pretty large city. The Mesa Historical Museum um, was created in the 1940s. And we are a private nonprofit museum and a regional heritage organization. I'm going to present a little different take on dealing with paranormal and ghostly occurrences at the museum. This is more of a case study of an organization that has been doing uh, ghost-related events for the last few years. Mesa Historical Museum began doing a ghost tour, it's called a ghost tour, six years ago. It began as a historic downtown walking tour suggested by a board member as a fundraising event during October. The original idea was to explore Hidden Mesa. The downtown corridor of Mesa off of Main Street uh, just boasts a variety of buildings built in the late 1800s, early 1900s that have all these unique characteristics that most people don't know exist, like uh, there's hidden tunnels and secret passageways and and just lots of fun things that that just never are seen. So um, this board member thought it would be a great idea to to look at Hidden Mesa and um, to do this tour. For the first three years, the tour took place during the daytime, and it combined a historical walking tour led by museum volunteers Several downtown businesses were invited to participate, and they were asked to allow us to come into their businesses with our groups and to explore these, uh, in particular, these hidden elements. And uh, what happened as this, this tour manifested in just the first year, as we walked in to meet the uh, store owners and to see the spaces, people on the tour started saying, wow, the, you know, is this tunnel haunted? Our, you know, have you ever had anything happen here? So they started relating their experiences to our tours. So after that first year, we realized that there, there was an element that the public wanted to, to have included in the tour. So we, we kept um, that format for three years. Then um, after after the first two years uh, of a very successful sold-out daytime tour, we had just numerous requests to do this in the evening. And it was a little bit more challenging because um, Mesa's not known for its nightlife um, on Main Street. It's sort of elsewhere in the city. Um, And a lot of the merchants just don't stay open very late. So we sort of compromised and said we'll do an evening tour from 6 to 8 p.m. And it, it is dark at that time. So um, after doing that that for three years and selling that event out and having a successful evening event, we were approached by an organization. I'm sorry, I should have told you to switch the slide. <laughs> so this is the downtown, uh, pictures for the downtown ghost tour. And um, just to go back a minute, there's um, some of the tunnels are being used for storage by one of the shop owners, and then there's a tour going in um, and talking to uh, one of the owners at a, at a pizza place. And then, it's hard to tell in that photo, but that's a territorial jail in a sister museum where they allow us to come in as part of the downtown tour. Next slide. Okay. After three successful years of doing the downtown tour, we were approached by paranormal investigators, and they they said, you know, have you ever done an investigation of your historic site um, in an area called Lehigh of uh, Mesa? And this is what the museum looks like. It's a 1913 building. We also have a 37 WPA building as well. We hadn't considered it at all. um, But we decided to allow them to come um, and and do an investigation and sell tickets to the public as a fundraising event. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. So the details um, in the first year, actually now as well, the details of our events include uh, that we sell, we sell the tickets through the museum. All the proceeds of the ticket sales go to the museum. The entire project is donated as an in-kind from all the participants. So there's no funding at all that goes to the ghost hunters or the merchants or any of our partners. Um, so it is virtually, a, it costs us nothing to produce the, these activities, these events. Um, we're supported by the local press. And we're just one of many paranormal, uh, you know, events in the in the metro area. So, um, it's it's really sort of um, I, I guess it's not an unusual uh, thing to do in our community because there's many other museums and other places doing this. And we raise about six thousand um, dollars at minimum off the event, like as I said, with no money down into it. How it works is, uh, and this is important that we remember we serve as a host for the um, event, the paranormal piece of this, um, and as well as the downtown tour. At the downtown tour, the merchants share their experiences. We don't um, tell ghost stories as a museum. We strictly guide the tour to the merchants, and then they tell their stories. And then at the, for the paranormal experience at, at the Lehigh Museum, um, we sort of treat the organization, the evening as a, almost like a rental of our facility, we um We allow them to come in and use the facility, and we use those same policies that we have for uh, rental engagements and they conduct um the event and we are just there literally for safety security of the objects of people um, opening and closing just the functions that we need to fulfill we um We also um, work with the Mesa CVB and the City of Mesa um, to promote the event and it's been quite a successful partnership and um, the, the Paranormal Group also helps in promoting the event but doing it through their own website. Our reasons for doing uh, this event um, has been really uh, multi, multi-fold but before I go on, I also, I also um, forgot to mention to you one other thing. This year. Next slide. We're adding a new paranormal tour, and this was something that, um, feedback that we got from participants in previous years. There's a place called the Buckhorn Baths uh, Motel, Wildlife Museum, and Mineral Wells in uh, Mesa, Arizona. It was discovered in the 30s, and literally, it's one of only two mineral wells in the state, and um, it has been closed to the public since 1998. And um, this, this place is right now part of a massive um, historic preservation effort between our organization, Historic Preservation Society, and the city of Mesa. In fact, it is being um, placed on a bond with the city for this November so that we can get the funds to buy the the facility from the current owners and start the preservation work. So all of the parties agreed that, including the current owners, that we could do a paranormal investigation of this site, sort of a one-time only thing so that we could um, also promote the preservation of the site. And and this has been the most – we did a poll, the city did a poll throughout the community, and the most desired uh, thing that people wanted to see happen was to see the buckhorn baths preserved in some way. So um, we will be doing a paranormal investigation this year in a couple weeks, and that that will be um, something new and exciting for us. And, again, the proceeds will go to the museum, and it will be run with the same – Same way we do the other things. So our reasons for doing the event, we see this as strictly a fundraising event for us. Um, We did not start this project because we had a ghost story. We have no ghost stories. We have no um, folklore at our museum site. Uh, As I said, it was started as a fundraising idea, um, and it grew from there. Uh, we create great PR opportunities for the museum and relationships with the media that have continued throughout the year, and it's allowed us to to have them come in to cover other things that maybe they wouldn't have before. It provides broad collaboration um, throughout the city with uh, the downtown, with city uh, of Mesa, other sponsors, um, and um, it, it it creates awareness of not only the museum, but It creates awareness of what we have in the city on Main Street. And it's growing in popularity, so um, it's another reason why we continue to do it. It sells out every year. Um, Just uh, just to let you know a statement here, um, there are many different kinds of paranormal-related events and happenings at museums around the country, and some like ours are just strictly fundraising events and they're not based on well-known places or events or people. Uh, we present these experiences related to community heritage. Um, that's what we do at the museum, and these experiences with the paranormal um, are fit well within our mission. Um, because We're not interpreting any of that ourselves, but it's definitely we're using our facilities as an outlet to create experiences for, for the community, and it's something that we've been asked to do. Um, before I address the policies for our event, um, I did want to address that, why many might argue um, are reasons not to do paranormal-related events at history museums. And I don't know, some of you might have read a recent article in ASLH that addressed this as well. And um, we, we do not um, – what we don't do is we don't talk about personal beliefs, we don't present um, – the stories and aspects of, of you know the paranormal experience as in some sort of um biased setting. We don't pass judgment regarding the paranormal stories told at all. We don't use costumed interpreters or actors to bring historical ghost tours to life. We don't create a Halloween or a spooky atmosphere. Um, we present a disclaimer to guests that the museum does not take a position on paranormal events. We do not do public programming regarding um, paranormal in addition to this. So we don't do lectures or um, you know, have them come in and, and do public, um, other public things, um, as some organizations do. Uh, we do not embrace the paranormal investigation as part of our branding. Uh, we are not trying to sustain ourselves as an entertainment ven- venue. We are not presenting the events in a historical context other than offering the museum as a setting. And this does not decrease the value of our site or our collection to anyone in the community. In fact, it's um, improved a lot of relationships with for, for the community, built new audience. It does not affect our scholarship, and in fact, we've received multiple awards for our work. And um, our fundraising event does not reflect negatively on our field or other museums in our area. And all of those are things that um, I mention because... Those are things that critics might say are reasons for you to do paranormal work at your museum. Um, policies related to our event. Um, its This has gone really fast for us. We, we really didn't intend to um, have paranormal tours and to get to this point with, with our initial event. So we don't have a specific um, policy related to paranormal investigation or the ghost tour. Uh, but here's what we do allow and what we don't allow. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you about the policies we do use. We allow guests to take photographs and use ghost tracking applications on the iPhone, um, which guests love to do. We allow paranormal groups to use all related electronic equipment. We do walk through to determine the parameters and avoid um, exhibit and collection areas that we don't want the tour to encounter. And we trade the paranormal group and their volunteer service for them to be able to investigate our site um, alone at another time. So we let them come back by themselves to investigate our site in exchange for them doing this for us so that we can raise money on that one night. Um, we do not post any of their findings, but uh, they do on their website. So um, uh, people are welcome to to look there. And we don't hide our, the fact that it's us on their website. We do allow our name to be used. We don't allow um, touching of exhibits or collections or straying from the assigned tour at any time. There are no cell phones in use or texting and no children under 16 at the paranormal investigation. And that seems to be a a policy that paranormal groups themselves have. Um, All the ones that I've worked with have never allowed children under the age of 16 and they have their reasons for that. Uh, We do have written policies for other events like rentals. and we have uh, liability policies, so we do apply um, our work with these events um, to those already for those written policies. Uh, we do not have a written agreement with the paranormal group at this time, other than an informal agreement that um, has been going on for three years and, and it's worked really well, but that may be something that we'll need to explore going forward if this continues to grow. Um, we have not had an issue of who owns the findings, so we don't have any policies based on who owns findings and haven't needed to do that. Um, and because we don't des- have a desire to promote ourselves as a haunted destination, we don't really care about having the results. So it's, it's not a problem that um, the ghost tour or paranormal folks keep those. Um, and we don't have a, an issue at our site with sensitivity, as other places might have, so um, we don't have to worry about that. And um, we do have marketing policies and policies around risk. So, you know, it is dark. Injuries can occur. Um, you can encounter people who um, object to the supernatural, so that, um, that's a risk. There are other risks that we take on by doing this. Theft is a risk. So we do have liability policies that control um, uh, uh, not only our site, but we take out riders for uh, sites like Buckhorn Baths so that we're covered under our liability policy for that one night. And that's that's something I would recommend that you do. And um, really the most important thing is quality control uh, for the experience, for the people. Um, But overall... um, Using policies that you might have in place might work for you uh, if you decide to do some sort of work um, with ghost hunting or paranormal experience. You look around and see what you might already have at your museum. It may cover some basic event that you're doing. Um, As I said, in the future, we'll be be looking at expanding. And I think the number one thing that I could see that we need to develop in the future is museum messaging, making sure that – Our staff and our board and media and everybody that we are having talk about these events is saying the same thing about them. And as um, was pointed out earlier, uh, language that's used around these events is also very important. So I think that's it for my presentation, and um, let me know if you have any questions, and I'd be happy to answer them. Thank you.
0: So we do have time for questions. I just want to do a really quick poll of the audience. How many of you have been approached by ghost hunters or paranormal investigators at some time? Okay. <laughs> how many? Th- that's that's most people there for the recorded audience. Um, how many people have done or allowed paranormal investigators to come to their site or done a ghost walk? Not quite as many, but there's some hands. Okay. So because we are a recorded session, um, if you have a question, we will repeat it into the microphone, or I can hand off the microphone for you, um, but we can take questions. Start with you.: I work in a 1738 preserve. We'll use the mic
4: here. I work in a 1738 preserved plantation house, and we get a lot of guests coming in especially with that new iPhone app everybody wants to see ghosts and i'm just thinking if we had done if we'd ever considered doing something like this like an evening event where we allow another group to come in and do a ghost tour what do you do if you're standing there and watching them and they start interpreting your site and saying saying things connected with your history that you do not want them to say all of a sudden they talk about your the house Family members and you know, their ghosts and apparitions. Do you just shut it down, or, or what do you do? Um, come on up. And I know that we could say don't do that beforehand, but you know <laughs> they may do it.
1: Um, in terms of the sites that um, I talked to, um, the one that at Old Kaba that I talked about, um, they had partnered with that group for a long time, so I think they. Um, I guess in a sense, not really like formally trained them, but, you know, um, had that relationship in terms of talking about what they were going to do or, or say or, or should not say. Um, I don't think anybody ever had any problems with that uh, in terms of someone saying something weird. Now a, a problem that some places kind of had a problem with um, the ones that are maybe on tv or a group goes and posts their stuff on youtube and uh, maybe it's not quite appropriate or something like that once it's out in the public though I mean at that point you, you can't really do anything about it um, so just speaking from what other people have done I don't I don't know if that really answers your question but that's what at least other people it, it have That can, I think that can help um, if you es- establish that relationship beforehand. If they know your site and um, know um, how you all interpret things and um, are kind of mimicking the, the interpreters in that sense, then, um, then that helps kind of control that message instead of them just going and making up stuff.
4: At least once or twice a week, we have guides coming in from a house tour giggling about their most recent experience with visitors. And uh, it's something that we all find entertaining and funny, and we have a file of people's paranormal pictures, which are mostly camera straps and fingers and (laughs) things like that. But um, it's interesting to hear you all talk about this now. Now I realize I need to tell our guides to not question somebody's Sanity, in case they were ever thinking of doing that, and not say, Oh no, we don 't absolutely not that 's ridiculous to just simply say it 's not something I have experienced
1: right uh, and yeah. that 's what a lot of sites did was if somebody asked um, their answer was kind of a vague answer like, Oh, you know that um, um, we don't uh, some say it is haunted was a common answer or you know some people think that um, they've had experiences. And so then it kind of removes you from making any kind of uh, certain statement.
2: And I was just going to say that w- we have one of our buildings um, that is a tour toured um, building only. Um, and I did ask our staff following these investigations, um, have you been asked if this site is haunted and so forth? Um, how often and what do you reply to them. And so I think part of the policy idea that that Leah promotes is great because the consistency of message, we do that for all our tours anyway, to make sure that our history is accurate and so forth. So the consistency of message in responding to the question, are there ghosts here? Have you experienced anything paranormal here? Those kinds of questions that it's consistent also, whether it's a volunteer or a staff member giving that answer.
5: Next Uh, Two just real quick questions. Alan, did you charge the parent? No. Okay. And Lisa, do you have, is the city self-insured?
3: The city's self-insured, but we're a private nonprofit. We're not associated with the city, so we have our own insurance.
5: I'll just bring a different perspective to this, and it goes to the question of charging. Um, I've been approached several times. I respond to the paranormal folks just like I would a group of the community who want to come in and have a special access tour to see the furniture or the silver collection or something else. And my response is, it's $10 a head to get in. You want access to a staff person after hours. That's X number of dollars per hour. It's after hours, so now it's double time. And because we have working alone policies, I have to bring in a security guard, and that's $27 an hour. And it's not because I want to make money. It's because I have to cover my costs. And I have to tell you, every time they say, oops, sorry, we're not interested. We have no money. That's not my problem. You're no different than the furniture collectors or anybody else.
4: Thank you. Um, uh, In our city, we have a state hospital, and um, I... I, at the museum, I'm not related to them, but I'm always the one who fields the calls, and I give them the, the state hospital's number. And they're always concerned with uh, issues of mental health, and they're very protective of their records, um, not wanting people to come in and, um, you know, kind of take a slant, I guess, on the, the mental health issue. Would there be anything that you could suggest maybe to get them to see this as a, a fundraising or, or, you know, dealing with those kinds of cultural uh, sensitivities, both in in ghosts' belief and and mental health.
1: Um, I come from a family that my mother was a therapist and my husband's a psychologist. So uh, the the yeah, mental health stuff is. Um, I think that's um, a very legitimate issue and a very legitimate concern because there are a lot of um, biases and and misconceptions about. Um, those who are mentally ill, and especially in the past with some of the practices that were done at that time, um, th- there could be a way to um, possibly find a way to talk about um, spiritual ex- or um, sorry, paranormal experiences that people have had, um, but maybe in a way that also Clears up um, or um, goes against some of those misconceptions that people have, um, and and that would be, fit, you know, in particular to whatever stories and history that is at the site. Um, there could, in terms of using paranormal investigators, is that what you all are, or what has been the talk of using paranormal investigators? Gotten so many calls. Right. right um, you know it, it depends too on what the, the investigators is it just the group of investigators coming and and um, talking or are they are they giving you that um, information whatever the results are or are they putting that out there some way in, in terms of the public Um I think there are some TV shows that have gone to similar such institutions, so it might be helpful to find some of those shows and see what things that they maybe do that's really appropriate and other things that aren't. Because I think it it could be a really interesting opportunity to talk about kind of the um, tragic past of, of mental health institutions. Yeah.
5: Because you've mentioned TV shows, and we were approached by one of those as well. It goes back to money. I would just encourage you, if you're ever approached by one of the TV shows, remember they're in the business world. Pull out your filming policies and charge them and charge them a lot.
0: (laughs) How many of you have filming policies? Okay, good. That's quite a few. Um, A couple people have asked who couldn't come to this session if we would address that and the Hollywood folks who come and scout out sites and everything like that. So, if you don't have a filming policy, you may want to look into it. Any other questions? We did good on time. There's just about a few minutes left. So, if you want to come up and talk afterwards, we'd be happy to talk to everybody individually. And thanks for coming.
2: Thanks
0: for staying late. <laughs> yes, thanks for staying all the way through Saturday.